Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. We approached the people in the film with interest and an open mind and an open heart and wanted to be present and hear what they had to say and understand them, you know, who they were and just be open to that so that the film could reflect not what we think people should be or do, but who they actually are. And that's been true. There's sort of a, a we hope, an integrity to that process that is consistent in everything that we do. Life is long and our, how are we remembered and what do we do with the things we've done well and the things we haven't done well and the mistakes that we've made and the things we're proud of and it's the human condition in very clear focus. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 118. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. About 15 years ago, it was shortly after returning from my first ever trip to Cambodia, where I'd been working on the documentary feature Bomb Hunters, I found myself in a weekend seminar at the Northwest Film Center in Portland, Oregon. Anyone who's been a listener of the show knows that that first time in Cambodia was an incredibly inspiring six months that would really inform the course of my life afterwards. I fell in love with that part of the world, and I fell in love with documentary as a means of storytelling. I don't remember the name of the class, but it definitely centered around funding for your documentary films. I figured if I was ever going to make a go of this documentary thing, I'd probably better learn a thing or two about funding, since at that point, I knew nothing about funding one's films, outside of maybe having attended a couple of house fundraising parties, and of course, being aware of grant writing, which at the time seemed the most daunting of any tasks associated with doc filmmaking, right? I still have a bunch of the printouts from that weekend seminar. Mitchell Block, if you're listening, I hope that you've planted at least three trees since that weekend. The highlight of these printouts was the actual grant proposal written by none other than documentary legend Ken Burns. It was for his film Brooklyn Bridge, a film that I'd never seen nor, truth be told, really had any genuine interest in seeing. If I'm being totally honest here... I was one of those film snobs who found the historical nature of his docs, you know, the narrations, the constant pan and scans of stills that have long since been associated with he and his work. Well, the idea just kind of didn't excite me. Or maybe it daunted me. I always planned on watching the jazz or baseball series because both subjects interested me. And, you know, I figured I probably should get around to watching a Ken Burns doc series someday. But I think that deep down, I always suspected that I wouldn't have the time, stamina, or even the brain power to stay with an entire nine-part series. So over the years, I continued to keep away from Ken Burns' work. And then the Vietnam War series came along. I think the Vietnam War drove a stake right into the heart of America. 
And then I had no choice. Like this was my wheelhouse, an in-depth documentary on a subject that I'd been fascinated with, maybe even slightly obsessed with since I was about 14 years old. And of course, in a part of the world that would later on become such an important part of my professional and personal other, life. Their courage under fire uh, was just phenomenal. And, you would and so I spent a weekend holed up in my apartment and I watched the entire series. I let go of any of my prior, maybe naive thoughts about the Ken Burns experience and ended up thoroughly enjoying the film series. I enjoyed the embracing of the Ken Burns experience. And I started doing a little research. Because there was another name attached to this series. Lynn Novick. I thought Ken Burns films were only made by Ken Burns down in the basement of Ken Burns' house somewhere in Ken Burns' America. Who was this Lynn Novick? Of course, I've since discovered that she was basically the producer behind so many of these Ken Burns epic doc series, and she'd in fact directed a number of the episodes from the Vietnam War series, Prohibition, Baseball, The War. And then I found out that lo and behold, there were a whole team of people that had worked on Ken's films, that he wasn't simply holed away somewhere in America trying to make sense of the history of America in giant 18-hour epic films that he'd created in the basement of Ken Burns's America. Ken Burns was, in fact, a human being. And he was a doc filmmaker, not unlike you and I, whose impressive work was made not just by himself, but by so, so many people who all came together to create the body of work that we have long since come to have known. And today, I have the honor of speaking with two of those important people who have been a part of those incredible doc series who have, in fact, now spent the last half decade or so working on their own documentary project, a four-part series called College Behind Bars. So when we come back from a quick break, I'm going to share that wonderful conversation with you. My talk with documentary filmmakers, Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein is coming up next, here on The Documentary Life. There are plenty of places online to learn how to do things like split the audio signals coming into your camera, or how to animate some of your still photos, or get some great tips on lighting your interview, many blogs, YouTube videos, and of course podcasts where you can quickly grab an answer to a tech-related question. But what if there was one place where you could learn from beginning to end how to make a documentary film and how to become a doc filmmaker, how to raise money and build an audience for your doc, how to form strategic partnerships and launch your doc out into the world, and perhaps even, if you can imagine, make some money from it? Well, there is such a place, and it's called the Documentary Academy. Steph and I took two years to build out this comprehensive resource that takes you step-by-step step from story creation and pre-production all the way to post-production, launch, and distribution. The Academy takes you through your doc filmmaking journey as your most confident, active, strategic, creative, focused, and articulate self. It is a step-by-step -step guide to empowerment in the documentary filmmaking world. We know what we have in the Documentary Academy. Now it's up to you to discover what you have as a doc filmmaker. Do that today by heading over to thedocumentarylife.com slash academy.
Today we'll be speaking with filmmakers Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein, the duo behind the four-part documentary series College Behind Bars. This film, premiering on PBS this month, marks Novick's solo directorial debut and is a major departure, both stylistically as well as conceptually, from the celebrated historical films she has directed and produced with Ken Burns. To name a few, The Vietnam War, Prohibition, The War, Jazz, and Frank Lloyd Wright. Ken also served as executive producer on this film. With unprecedented access to bring camera crews inside maximum and medium security prisons for four years, Novik and Botstein amassed 400 hours of verite footage, distilled to four hours in the final film. Told without narration in the voices of a dozen incarcerated men and women struggling to earn degrees in the Bard Prison Initiative, one of the most rigorous prison education programs in the country. College Behind Bars is an intimate exploration of the transformative power of education as it happens in real time. First and foremost, Lynn and Sarah, welcome to the Documentary Life. It's an honor to have the both of you on the program today. Thank you. We're thrilled to be here. It's always helpful to have a little bit of context on where our doc filmmakers come from. Lynn, and then we'll turn it over to Sarah. Can you tell us how documentary came to be a thing for you? I became interested in photography when I was in high school and studied a bit of the history of photography in college and was really fascinated with the real, I suppose. And that evolved into a deeper appreciation for the art of documentary seeing some seminal films when I was in college mm. and soon after, I became more and more intrigued and then obsessed with the idea of how to tell true stories using real facts and real people and what would be the power of those stories to help us understand ourselves. Mm. And Sarah, how about yourself? Um, I sort of fell into documentary filmmaking, honestly, by meeting Ken very early in my job life and getting interested in what he was doing and instead of going to graduate school was offered a seat on um, the jazz film project uh. and really jumped into the deep end of the pool without knowing very much and then realized pretty quickly that it fed so many of my interests. I was an American studies major in um, college and also like Lynn and Ken actually interested in both photography and mm. all kinds of visual medium and have kind of a visual way of being in the world. Um, and I'm really interested in American history, culture, art, music, science. So it making historical documentaries with, with people like Ken and Lynn has been an incredibly interesting dynamic and always changing job. Yeah, I can imagine a heck of a way to start one's doc filmmaking career, for sure. So in terms of this current uh, doc series, College Behind Bars, Lynn and Sarah, how did the two of you come together to work on this particular project? And really, how did the project happen to begin with? So in 2012, we were invited to give a class, a lecture in a college class inside a maximum security prison mm -hmm. to present some sections of our prohibition series and talk about it as we've been doing all around the country. And we were really interested in doing that because we'd never been inside a maximum security prison. And, you know, the idea that there were college classes happening there and students studying, um, we didn't quite know what to expect. Mm -hmm. We went into the class and we had the most interesting and provocative and thoughtful discussion of our film and the issues in the film and the filmmaking and the craft and the decisions that we'd made as filmmakers. And then also the substantive questions raised in the film, the ironies that it exposes about American history. It was really quite a mind-blowing experience, life-altering in so many ways, some of which we didn't realize at the time. 
but as we walked out of there, you know, our first reaction, both of us <laughs> as filmmakers, we looked at each other and we said, this is amazing. This would be an amazing film. Somebody should do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that was 2012. We were really not thinking that it would be us. We were working on Vietnam with Ken, but over the course of the next few years, we just became more and more resolved that we actually did have to do it. I spent more time in prison than I did in the free world. I came to jail when I was 17 years old. So it's like freedom is hard to visualize for me. I've been incarcerated for 13 years. And from my experience, I can tell you, prison is here to punish us. It's here to warehouse us. But it's not about um, rehabilitating. It's not about creating um, productive beings. It just isn't. Let's talk a little bit about sort of the logistics of how one goes about even setting up mm-hmm. a production to go into a prison. What? How did security access work? Uh, what was the overall process? Who were the sort of the key individuals that you had to begin contacting with in order to make this happen? It took us. It took us a, a while to get permission both from the state and the Department of Corrections. But once we had gotten that permission, we have an extraordinary producer, Mariah Duran, who took the lion's share of the just call sheet organization, which I, if you are a documentary filmmaker, this would make anybody's head spin. Um, You know, we, we became a very lean, very compact crew. We brought in as little gear as we possibly could okay. and as small a footprint as we possibly could, mm. both for the complexity of the space and the complexity of the security. Yeah. Um, and we have a really talented team, and we got permission to come in and out, and we were extremely organized and tried to be very, very efficient, and we shot <clears throat> really, really long days. So we would make the most of our time there because... The, the student the students and incarcerated individuals time is so carefully choreographed and managed that figuring out how we could maximize how much time we could spend with the students and also in the facility mm. at a time that we were allowed to be there was not simple can you give us a snapshot of what uh, of what a day looks like so when you enter in the morning the are the crew assembling outside together and then everyone's walking in together do they have you sort of handlers that you're working with what, give us a snapshot of what that looks like you know going through the security and getting everybody into the building to to begin the day I, I, we could both talk about this we we usually went in very early always as a team we yeah. processed in together we cleared our gear together we went through the gates together we got to the part of the prison we were shooting in usually as a group you have a number of subjects of course in this in this doc series talk about initially meeting people what that process was like and then how you decided who your subjects would be i'll, I'll take a stab and i'm sure sarah okay. will jump into this is really essential to the whole project yeah and both, yeah um really appreciate the opportunity to do the film for this very reason yeah um we recognized, you know, immediately that this is going to be difficult because we couldn't pick up the phone and call people or send an email <laughs> or just hang out. Everything was very carefully controlled. So we started, before we even started filming or really planning our project, we met with a number of alums of the Bard Prison Initiative who had already gone through the program and mm. been released from prison and were out in the world. Mm. And we just, for background, just wanted to ask them, 
what was it like for them and what did they think a film like this should be about mm. and what should we, what were the pitfalls to avoid? And they were extremely generous with us to just help us get a little bit oriented before we sort of went into yeah. prisons and started talking to the students without really knowing anything about their lives or their experiences. Yeah. So that was the sort of our background research homework, okay. so to speak. Yeah. But then we just, we got permission or, you know, we asked for the um, opportunity to just go inside and watch the classes for a while and not really talk to anyone too much. And then we kind of noticed certain people that maybe seemed particularly animated or interesting or mm -hmm. had a you know, particular aspect to their um, personality that we thought was interesting and maybe their academic life. And we just started sort of noticing different people and wanting to talk to them yeah. and spent yeah. time with them without a camera there. And then in addition, there were, when we started filming, there was a cohort of women that were starting the program and a women's prison and a cohort of men that were starting. Yeah. So we knew we were going to choose people from those two groups who were just beginning the program. And so we spent time with them kind of as a large group and broke down, you know, a little bit individually. Sarah and I would each meet with different people and just kind of take notes and kind of get a sense of where they were at. And then there was a group of men that had already finished their associate degree that were starting the bachelor's degree, which is the sort of the last two years of the program. And so we, there were 37 of them. We couldn't get to know all of them, but we tried to get to know as many as we could. Yeah. And over time, probably a few months, kind of zeroed in on a few people that we thought would be to focus on. But it evolved over time as well. Okay. And were you filming that entire time early on when you were, you know, I know you were, oh. you were in and out of the prison doing the research, you were spending time with potential subjects. Did you have a camera there during that time? Or was it uh, once you had decided who your subjects would be that you actually started to roll? A um, little yeah. bit of both. We shot... Early on, Lynn was just saying these two cohorts of students who were just starting the program yeah. and the students who were just starting the BA, we didn't want to lose time tracking that process. So we filmed early on before we knew some of the subjects as well as we obviously got to know them very well over time, but we yeah. wasn't one size fits all. We spent a lot of time without the cameras, but we also did some very surgical shooting that felt like it would be the launch for the film. It was about, we started filming in the summer of 2014 and we finished in the summer of 2017. Okay. So it was four years. It was four years. Yeah. Okay. okay. Off and on. That was, you know, that was kind of baked into the whole idea of the project was that we believed we, that a film about this subject needed to show the transformation that happens right. when people have access to education. Right. And right. that happens over time. Yeah. Even if we had wanted to just stop working on Vietnam and just spend six months working on this, wow. it, it wouldn't have worked for the concept of what the film could do. Yeah. yeah. And so, and you know, one of my favorite documentaries of all time is 28 Up, and the magic of that, of seeing <laughs> people change, is so extraordinary. It is and incredible. So I'm not going to say that we aspire to be Michael Apted, but I think that's the power of film in a way, too, you know. And so we wanted that to be part of this project, okay. and so we had to start when we started and basically had to get all the way to graduation, which was four years later. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that series is a huge inspirational series, the seven up series. In fact, uh, as a side note, we had, uh, you may remember, uh, you may remember one of the subjects, Nick, Nick Hitchin, who has lived in the U S now for a long time. We actually had him on the program because we wanted to talk about what it, what it's like for the documentary subject on the other side of the camera. And if there's one thing that I have learned to fear in this, it's Michael Michael's doing voiceover. <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to that because we think about that a lot, you know. Yeah.
that's really i you know what yeah i i will send you a link to that it's a wonderful conversation you will recognize the voice immediately and uh your heart will open immediately it was uh he Uh, was he was a great conversation to have and 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 as doc as consumers of that film and then as doc filmmakers yourselves you will appreciate the conversation four years 400 hours of footage how do you even begin in an editorial sense to start whittling this footage down that was daunting <laughs> we have to give a lot of credit to our really extraordinary editor Trisha Reedy and her assistant Chase Horton yeah. for helping us make sense of all this material yeah. but you know in a way we kind of approached it to some degree at least to start the way we work with material with the historical films yeah. and that we had a lot of interviews and sort of group conversations and we just pulled select so we watched that with a transcript and picked out the sections that we thought were interesting mm. and then we kind of built what we would call an assembly of just really more the the interview and the conversation and the talking you know what people had to say yeah sort of what yeah. was the stories we put all the best material together in this i think it was i don't know eight hours long or something okay and that didn't include any verite footage actually it was just the um the content was like just content. people talking right, saying right. things that we thought needed to be in the film or yeah. be considered and then we started to break that down into episodes and you know boil it down and boil it down and then we started to add the verite scenes and that meant we could remove some of the sort of talking that was explaining things that we were actually going to show instead. Okay. okay. So it, it's, um, it was a very organic process and, you know, none of us had made a film like this before <sighs> No. with that narration and without, you know, a built-in structure. So, well, along those lines, what's an, what's an approach that you brought to this that you would have taken we're going to we're going to we're going to answer this in two ways. We're going to I'm going to ask you what's an approach that you brought to this that you would have taken, you know, from all of your years uh doing films with Ken. And then what's something that you maybe consciously did differently in your approach from the years working with Ken? Sarah, go ahead. No, you should you should answer. That was a very dramatic okay. pause. That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. We think about that a lot. Yeah. Um it was what's similar and what's different. So I think what's similar was that we approached the people in the film with interest and an open mind and an open heart and wanted to be present and hear what they had to say and yeah. understand them, you know, who they were and just be open to that so that the film could reflect not what we think people should be or do, but who they actually are. Mm. And that's changing over time. And that's been true. There's sort of a, we hope, an integrity to that process that is consistent in everything that we do. And then there's sort of the dynamics of just pure storytelling. Yeah. You know, I think stories, Ken always says, you know, you have to have a beginning, middle, and end. You have to edit out the extraneous material. You have to keep the audience engaged. And how you do that, it doesn't matter whether you have a narration or not or whether you're using old photographs or not. There's still just a pure kind of craft of storytelling. Yeah. You know, how do you introduce your characters? How do you set up what's at stake? How do you, you know reveal what you're going to reveal as you're going along those kind of just pure narrative devices i guess Mm. are really more or less the same it's just here we didn't know what they were going to be when we started yeah right (laughs) yeah i think another piece of this that we've been talking about is you know we were also nervous when we started that how you know the visual landscape is pretty the same mm. not pretty much the same it is the same the school floor doesn't change much yeah. the clothes they wear are pretty much the same they're in the same location and how we were going to make that visually interesting, interesting. and not feel yeah. repetitive but yeah. end up being you know 
both beautiful and I think ultimately um, a strength of the film that um, both our cinematographers are amazing and Trisha, as Lynn was saying, but just to sort of lean into where we were and what we were doing and follow it both visually and from a storytelling perspective in some very simple ways and then obviously in some much more complicated ways. This is my cell. This is where I uh, rest my head. You have my sink, uh, my window. You see, I don't have much of a view of much out there. One of the things that we talk about on the program is the relationships that we make with our subjects. And I think in particular, and while everybody's approach and relationships are different, some sort of bonds or relationships are formed in, inherently in doc filmmaking. And I think that's part of, I know it is for me, and I, I know it is for a lot of our listeners, probably the majority of doc filmmakers, quite frankly, it's part of the uh, part of the process and part of the joy of documentary filmmaking. In particular, in your case, it's a delicate situation forming relationships with your subjects. Um, how did the both of you, how did the both of you, what was your approach to that? And were you having conversations with your, with your crew members about, about this? And, and yeah. And, and how was that, you know, similar or different to approaches with relationships with other, you know, subjects that you've worked with in doc films? Yeah. It's an excellent question. I think it's not one size fits all and there aren't any, Every film that we've worked on is different, and this was different for all kinds of reasons. We, yeah. The way that we could communicate, as Lynn was saying earlier, with the subjects in the film and the apparatus around them and the complexities of that, both very practical and very real and then more nuanced, We, while they were inside, and then almost everyone who's in the film is now out of prison, mm. so our relationships with them changed again, once they were out in the free world. Um, we take all of that very seriously, all, as does our crew. You know, we're very, very close to some of the subjects in the film yeah. in some very special ways. They, it was a kind of collaborative effort. They were letting us into their world and we were trying to make sense of it and honor their experience. And also there are lines and it's a film and Lynn was directing it and she could talk a little bit about those kind of separations. But, you know, it is, as you said earlier, I think one of the joys of the work that we do is that we've been able to get to know extraordinary people. Mm. This film, certainly, that's the case. Yeah, a lot I, from them. we did indeed. I mean, I don't think it was possible at the beginning of this project to imagine ourselves now <laughs> and the relationship that we have developed over time with the people in the film. And how much we care about each other and respect each other and want to stay connected after the film is over. I remember our last, when we filmed, there was a grad, we filmed a graduation. That's one of the you know, yeah. culmination of the film in 2017. Yeah. And we went back into the facility maybe a few weeks later to kind of, you know, just check in with the students that we had just filmed. They had just graduated. Some of them were being transferred to other facilities mm. because they were now medium eligible. And this so cohort wasn't really going to be together in the same way that it had been. And so we wanted to just go in and just check in with them. We didn't have a camera crew or anything. Oh, wow. we, we thought we were mostly done filming. We didn't really know exactly. And so we, we gathered the students in a room. And they said, you know, well, thank you so much. And, you know, it's been great knowing you and goodbye. And we looked at them like, what are you talking about? 
And they said, well, we thought that, you know, now that we had graduation, we probably won't see you anymore. Yeah. And we were just dumbfounded, really. But, you know, we said, well, we have news for you. You will be seeing us. And we're not really done with the project. And we're going to be in touch (laughs) with you. And you're going to come home. And we're going to be sharing this experience as much as we can. Yeah. And, you know, this is not the end of something. Mm. And so one of the students then said, well, you know, thank you for giving us a voice. And we were just sort of taken aback. And I think one of the central themes of the film we didn't give anybody a voice they have a voice oh, just their yeah. voice hasn't been heard yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. i remember saying something like we didn't give you a voice you you speak for yourself mm-hmm. and so he said well you're right thank you for giving us a megaphone wow and i think that spoke to a little bit about the dynamic of the relationship was at that time you know they were incarcerated we were out here yeah. and it was it felt very you know imbalanced in a way and when people are incarcerated you come to visit them you just have to sort of you know, wave at a distance practically, and it's a kind of a constrained interaction, even with the with the access that we had. Mm. So as we one by one been able to get to know most of the students now, as they've come out of prison, yeah. our relationships have deepened, and as they've actually been out on the road with us and sharing the experience of speaking about the film and their experiences in the film and in the Bard Prison Initiative, mm-hmm. um, we've gotten to be much closer, frankly. So I bet, you know, we, another, one of the other things that we talk about is, you know, process and process of doc filmmaking and, and at coming out at the other end, perhaps changed as both doc filmmakers and changed as people. Um, I would think that that would certainly apply to, to the both both of you in, in your experience with with this with this series college behind bars what did what did they teach you at the end of the day what did you learn out of this about doc filmmaking and what did you learn about yourselves I don't know that's such a deep question I'm not sure I can fully answer it other than to say I'm definitely not the same person I was in 2012 and I owe a great deal of that to the generosity and openness and honesty of the subjects in the film and yeah. how they, I walk out on the street of, from my apartment every morning and I'm a different person thanks to them. And I understand or think about the world. I don't understand it, but I think about the world yeah. very, very differently. Yeah. And came from a very different background from most of them. And they're um, how I think about education, race, class, politics, citizenship, your role in society, how our country is structured, all of that's different. We were at an event last night and sort of talking about precisely this with two of the subjects in the film. And, you know, they, they're they so interested in confronting the deep human existential questions of life yeah. in such a unique way that if you're around them over a sustained period of time, you're thinking along with them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> about all of that too. And so, uh, you know, not a day goes by that I'm not really grateful to them. And, yeah. you know, life is long and our, how are we remembered and what do we do with the things we've done well and the things we haven't done well and mm. the mistakes that we've made and the things we're proud of. And it's the human condition in very clear focus yeah i don't have that's beautifully said i don't have too much to add to that at all yeah um it's something we'll be thinking about for a long long time i believe because when you're in the middle of something you can't fully understand it in a way and um you know we've we were so immersed in making the film and now trying to spread the word about it and working with the alums that are home 
to do that and you know even thinking with them about what what do we think the message of the film should be we made the film but now how do we explain what it is yeah. to get people to watch it and to interact with it and one of the things that sounds obvious but having been on this journey with them both in the process of their education and in the process of making this film you know has been a deep given me a deep appreciation all of us for the joy of learning and how liberating it can be to really lose yourself in ideas and the the interchange with other people about that and what that can mean to the human spirit is extraordinary. And, you know, I, looking back, feel I more or less wasted my college time. <laughs> I was, I was good. a juror. Yeah. I don't think I both. really understood anything about what I was learning. <laughs> it was just assignments, and I tried to do the best I could with what the, I thought the teacher wanted. Yeah. And I shot the shit with my friends at the library instead of doing my homework, and that was fun. <laughs> but to be around these students and watch them learn and hear them talk about what they're doing and what it means to them to be doing it. And the um, enthusiasm and joy of it has been so inspiring. And then I think all the things Sarah said, I absolutely agree with, you know, the, the takeaway is, I think there were times in making the film that it was totally devastating and heartbreaking mm. to think about and to hear them explain how they ended up incarcerated, what their childhoods were like, yeah. what happened to yeah. them, what they did their feelings about it, they're coming to terms with it. All of it was just just heartbreaking and devastating. And yet at the same time to see that they were still determined to, you know, make their way forward and live their life in a productive way and make the most of the opportunity they had to get this incredible education and to do something productive for society, for themselves, for their families was so inspiring. Mm. Um, that the film is incredibly uplifting and the experience was uplifting for us at the same time that it was totally devastating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, watching this series, there are moments that are uh, incredibly emotional, touching, very insightful moments throughout, um, and as you said, inspirational. College Behind Bars is, is an incredible documentary series. I'm excited for you guys uh, to get this film out there. It's set for its PBS release. Tell us how we can see College Behind Bars. College Behind Bars is airing on PBS November 25th and 26th at 9 p.m. in most markets, 8 p.m. in some markets. It's also streaming free on the PBS app, which can be downloaded and put on any device. And um, it'll be streaming for many months, and then it'll be available on, you know, download to own and other, other, you know, DVD and other, other ways that we normally consume our media these days. Excellent, excellent. This has been an honor to have the both of you on the program. It's been a delightful conversation. The documentary series is College Behind Bars. Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein, thank you so much for being in the documentary life. Thank you so much for having us. It was a privilege. Don't forget, we'd love to have you join us in the Documentary Academy. Come and take a look at how we can help you make your best documentary film at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. That's thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.